0: My main research question is all of I see people doing what I would equate to child abuse on a daily basis, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and my real research question was how do they think that that's good, mm-hmm. right? Um, how, what are the kind of cognitive processes, social structures um, that contribute to the kind of violence of the helping professions, especially when it comes to autistic children? Um, and that's really kind of the work that I do is
2: answering that question. Welcome to the Well Child Podcast, hosted by Dr. Sammy and Dr. Anna, two board-certified pediatricians and best friends known as the PediePals. This is a safe space where parents, caretakers, guardians, and those interested in pediatric health can find accurate parenting and medical information to raise healthy and happy children. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at The PD Pals, or visit our website at www.thepdpals.com. We are so grateful to have had a successful first season where we invited widely respected experts to discuss important topics. Here's to an even better season two just for you.
3: Okay, for anyone tuning in, we're the PE Pals, and we're talking to Robin today about ABA. Hi, hi, everyone. <laughs> hey, so tell us, you were going to, let's just say um, a little bit about the background. So yeah. We're yeah, off-
0: yeah. So, um, you know, this conversation started on TikTok. I kind of got tagged in a couple of videos, um, but I thought it might be helpful to kind of maybe, you know, back us up to like what, why people have, you know, problems with ABA. Um, and then, you know, we can kind of talk about now what, what to do about that.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so really, you know, the science of behaviorism, everyone knows starts with Skinner, um, but very, very quickly is applied to disabled people. Right. Um, and it was, it's early stages. We all know the like Lova's, you know, studies, Lovas starts the young autism project um, at UCLA. Um, and if you haven't read or seen any of the images from that, um, trigger warning. Um, but Lovas' methods obviously were, you know, extreme, right? So we're talking like electroshock, um, screaming, hitting, um, you know, really, really intense. Um, he isn't actually the first to study autistic people. Um, there were people before him um, and people after, but the field itself was very much involved in, you know, doing some of their preliminary early studies, the very kind of genesis of the field. Um, on disabled people, specifically, um, you know, autistic people. Um, and in the beginning, it was very much about kind of remediating, you know, deviant behaviors, right? That's kind of where it starts, um, you know, and if you ever want to, you know, see anything um, really interesting, um, the advertisements in the like beginnings of the journals, the early issues of Journal of Applied Behavior Analysis and the Experimental Analysis of Behavior, they're like two journals, They had like advertisements in them for like, you know, parents and professionals about, you know, stopping deviant behaviors, homosexuals, et cetera. Um, So it was very much about kind of solving, you know, social quote unquote problems through the emergent science of behaviorism. Um, So that continues on really through like the 80s. It really grabs hold in like schools, but continues to really have a stronghold with, you know, autistic um, people. Um, and, you know, is still using a lot of these punishment procedures, like, you know, really into the present in some places, right? So people think that that history is far gone, um, but it's not in a lot of ways. And I can kind of get to, you know, why I think that. Um, So really what happens with autism, right, is we have also all of these kids being diagnosed, right, starting in like the 80s and early 90s. We have that huge boom of kids being diagnosed in the 90s. Um, a very famous famous parent memoir comes out called "Let Me Hear Your Voice" by Catherine Maurice. Um, you know, New York Times bestseller about how Lovas you know cured her kid basically, um, and that really starts this kind of parent advocacy for ABA to be covered by insurance. Um, and it kind of is this interest convergence, right? So the field of ABA is growing. The number of kids who have autism is growing um, or diagnosed with autism, um, had it before, but, um, and it becomes this kind of, you know, huge field, right. Um, and behaviorism or applied behavior analysis really, um, you know, they do a lot of other things, but their main thing is, you know, autism. Um, and the science of behaviorism is about, you know, changing behavior, um, that is socially significant. The problem is, is that, you know, you and I probably have very different definitions of what socially significant means. Um, and that is always measured against a kind of neurotypical norm, right? So that's kind of some of the problems that coupled with the, you know, kind of historic treatment of disabled people in the, you know, body of ABA scholarship, um, and parents really fought for it, right? So, that it kind of took off to that's where it why it is where it is now um is that parents um you know autism speaks talk about curing autism uh dan defeat autism now all organizations that were you know very active at the time huge parent lobbying kind of organizations that got aba to be covered um, by insurance um so um also at that time is when the b uh BCB, BACB is formed. It's like their accreditation um, thing. Before that, you had to actually be like a psychologist. Um, now um, there's like standalone certification for ABA that starts in 1998. Um, and then, you know, it skyrockets to the point that it is the blanket recommendation for all autistic children. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is billed as such, right? The only research based um, therapy for autism. Um, you know, we could unpack that a little bit, right? There is other, there are other modalities that have research, um, speech therapy, occupational therapy. Um, you know, it it's just that, you know, the field of ABA defines research as uh, research done by behaviorists, <laughs> um, right? So it's, you know, it, really that's kind of how we got to the point that we are now. Um, so any questions about that? I feel like I'm like info dumping, so <laughs> I could just go. Um so really like we're at the point now where you know all autistic kids will be recommended ABA. Um the community has an issue with it, right? Because one many people have been through applied behavior analysis. Um and a lot of the strategies that are used can be um harsh, right? So we have people that are doing like overcorrection programs where, you know, they make, you know, a kid writes his name on a desk and then they have to watch 50 desks, right? Um, We have punishment procedures being used. And even the like newer ABA where we're using reinforcement, oftentimes parents are given like a reinforcement inventory um, and then told to withhold a child's like favorite or most treasured items, right? To then be used as a reinforcer, right? So, I used to have my, you know, stuffy, that was my comfort item all the time. And now you took it from me and now I can earn it back. Right. <laughs> um, and, you know, we can all say that this is well and good because it's all about rewards. Um, but it's it, the experience of that for the person going through it. Right. Is very different. Um, so, you know, there's the history of the field. The field itself has been extremely hostile to autistic people. Um, and tends to be fairly insular in terms of like academic scholarship, right? So they don't really play well with others. (laughs) Um, You know, there's not a lot of collaboration. Um, In fact, it's in their like code of ethics that they can't recommend anything that's not research-based and that they really can't, you know, recommend anything other than ABA Um, and, you know, that they have a duty to disseminate behavior analysis. (laughs) Um, And it's gotten to the point where you know, we're bringing up valid criticisms and um, just not being heard. Right. And so there's a lot of animosity um, among autistic, um, you know, advocates um, and the field of ABA. And then like this third component, which is parents. Right. So, you know, parents are like, well, I agree with you that like, you know, certain parents, most parents, um, that I talk to anyway, are like, well, I agree that, you know, this isn't, I, ideally the way that I would like my child's services to go. Um, I really don't have another option. Right. Um, then that's kind of where I come in. So I do a lot of kind of like harm reduction, uh, work around ABA. I work with a lot of, um, ABA practitioners even, um, and I do kind of outreach uh, around that. So, um, that's kind of like a, you know, brief synopsis of kind of some of the problems. And I could get a little bit more granular about what the actual practice is that we are, you know, you know, crit- critical of, um, but I don't know, you know, how helpful that would be, but, um, that's really the kind of crux of it.
1: Um,
3: Wow. It's great. Go ahead, Anna.
1: Sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say. First of all, I think before we even start picking your brain about it, we just want to thank you for kind of everything you're doing because um, coming from a pediatrician standpoint, we know we see families struggling, we see neurodivergent kids struggling, we see families struggling to kind of find their place in schools and societies, and it's and it's so difficult. And 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 like you so said, we we're utilizing the resources that are available to us and. Thanks to people like you that have experienced it, have personally gone through that, can really now come in um, from the other end and provide feedback as to what is really the issue here. You know, and 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 I really think that more people need to be a part of that. Like you said, uh, structuring these therapies or figuring out ways we can. Um, we can really understand, you know, why there's so much trauma in this kind of zone, you know? Um, and 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 I'm, so I'm, I'm glad we had this conversation. So I just wanted to say thank you for the work that you're doing um, and for helping us understand. Um, because, you know, from, from our standpoint, we see um, that uh, we want to give kids the appropriate resources, you know, to be successful in whichever, in whichever way they want to be successful, you know, right. and to provide, provide that ability to, um, to communicate and to, to, to be able to live in the society, which is very dysfunctional at times. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and so it's, it's a very tough balance, but I would personally love to just understand, um, your personal experience through it and, and kind of how you use that, um now to kind of advocate for it and and uh what things you see moving forward um in terms of therapy that could really benefit uh people yeah that have, so, that deal with autism. Um, yeah.
0: Sorry to cut you off. I'm so bad at knowing when to talk on Zoom. It's like
1: it's <laughs> <No>. a very <laughs>
0: autistic thing. I might like interview interrupt people all the time. Um, so I myself did not go through EBA. Um, I was diagnosed as an adult. Um, my brother was diagnosed when he was, um, young. Um, and so, you know, I went through that journey as a sibling really. Um, and so my mom early on, um, right in the nineties, he was part of that group, um, you know, was looking for schooling options for him and therapy options. And they took her to go, um, you know, with all these parents fighting for a couple slots in this, like, you know. ABA school that everyone was fighting to get their kids in. And she said she walked in, the kids were all strapped in chairs. Um, and um, they were doing like discrete trials, like over and over and over with the gummy bears and the M&Ms and all that. Um, and she said she walked out and and never looked back, right? She's like, I don't want anything to do with this. Um, and so my mom in the 90s got really involved with um, Greenspan, Stanley Greenspan, DIR floor time. Um, which, you know, was very popular then and as having a bit of a resurgence now. It's a play-based kind of developmental approach to therapy for children with autism. Um, So she got really into floor time. Um, She advocated for like a floor time kind of based pre-K program for him in our public school. Um, And my mom is so soft-spoken and so shy. Um, But she really, you know, after seeing what she did from you know, what she saw in the ABA school, she just knew it wasn't the way that we related to my brother. We were never really, you know, <laughs> so concerned with him, you know, complying, or um, we were more concerned with connecting with him um, and on like a personal emotive <laughs> relational kind of way. Um, so that's where it started for me. I became a special education teacher Um in my twenties. Um, and I was teaching in high needs, um, special education in New York city. Um, and we had a lot of, um, you know, ABA folks in and out. Um, and I just started observing some of the same things. Um, a lot of the, you know, um, discrete trials, um, punishment procedures, um, and even like the reinforcement stuff, I just felt like it was so transactional. Um, and so rigid, um, for a lot of the kids. Right. And I just didn't really teach like that. Um, so after seeing that for a couple of years, um, my daughter was born, um, and shortly diagnosed after that. And then I was, you know, looking for therapy for her. Right. And so through early intervention, we would get therapists that were either more ABA or less. Um, and, um, I remember like one time watching this, um, Early intervention, it was like a DI, like the developmental intervention. That's what we call it in Jersey anyway. Um, so she was in my home doing a uh, therapy with my daughter. And she, you know, for some reason I decided it was very important for her to do like a four-piece puzzle. Right. And so my 18 month old had no interest in this. Um, and so she decided she was gonna, you know, do, do, you know, touch this, do this, you know, like the trial thing. And um my she took my daughter's hand and, you know physical prompted her to pick up the puzzle piece and i heard her screaming and i walked in the room and i was like hands off like get your hands off my kid um and i had to have some really serious conversations with our team that that's just not we don't do things like that you know i don't um i don't nothing is is more important than my daughter having bodily autonomy least of all a four piece puzzle um so that you know kind of led to um, you know, just looking for different options for her and realizing that the options are so slim. Um, she actually did end up at an ABA preschool, um, but it was an ABA preschool that had a kind of hybrid play-based kind of floor time vibe. And I was just on top of them (laughs) about, um, you know, what the strategies that they were using and even I, someone who's so critical of it, right. Um, ended up having to use ABA services for my daughter. So I've navigated the system in so many ways. Um, and then I left to do my PhD. Um, and I really, my main research question is all of, I see people doing what I would equate to child abuse on a daily basis. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and my real research question was how do they think that that's good? <laughs> right. Um, how, what are the kind of cognitive processes, social structures, um, that contribute to the kind of violence of the helping professions, especially when it comes to autistic children. Um, And that's really kind of the work that I do is answering that question. Um, So, you know, it's a lot of personal experience um, that's led me to kind of this more academic path. And now, now what I do um, is I do education um, and I do consultations with families um, and a lot of, you know, most of my consulting clients, their kids are, their kids are an ABA. Um, and sometimes I even tell them to do that, right. Because they need the services, they need the hours, they need a one-to-one they need, you know, whatever. And then we just work on the programs, finding the right place, the right therapist, um, you know, and kind of mitigating harm, uh, the best that we can, Um, moving forward, what would be great, um, is that if insurance would cover, you know, developmental approaches like floor time, Um, that, you know, when they started, didn't have a really solid research base, but do now. Um, Maybe not in the same way as ABA, because they're completely different practices, right? One is focused on internal experiences, and one is focused on outward behaviors. You're going to have stronger research for things that study outward behavior. It's just easier to measure. Um, So, you know, of course, (laughs) you're going to have more data on something that's just, you know, you used to uh, put two things in a cup, and now you put five. Ta-da! Um, but it doesn't measure, you know, the experience of the person going through it, um, and that's a missing variable in like most of the behavior analytic literature.
3: One hundred percent. It's very eye opening. You know, we're in a position where we're really lucky that a lot of the children that went through ABR now adults that can communicate their experiences. So when when I made the TikTok video. And I apologize in advance. I genuinely hope, cause I have questions. <laughs> um, Do I genuinely hope that the neurodivergent community can be patient with me as I try to like, basically shift the way that I practice from now on. Um, so when I did the video, what I said was that I, um, you know, w- we present options to our patients once the diagnosis is made and like your speech, there's OT, there's PT, and then there's also ABA as a potential and different therapies, mm-hmm. but ABA as a potential too. And then we encourage them to just go like basically interview like you would a daycare and, you know, not all ABA centers are the same. Um, you need to be like it needs to be very open door policy going in and out should be no problem. You should be allowed to be there anytime you want. You should be able to observe. You should feel comfortable. You should feel like that. Da, da, da. But I I'm hearing from the neurodivergent community that that's not enough. And, and I get it. I totally understand why that's not enough, but here's where my questions are. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yes. Okay. Got you. As a pediatrician. yes. Um, So like a couple of things, a couple of the ways that I was challenged was, I got in the, in the verbiage I used, for example, I said that the goals for these children, and then they were, you know, they said, well, those are neurotypical goals. Why do you want neurodivergent children to have the same goals? How do I know what the goal is? Because no two neurodivergent kids are the same. When I have a very small window as a pediatrician to make a difference, we all, we all agree on one thing, right? Early intervention is huge. So we all agree that we shouldn't waste time, especially when they're toddlers in, in achieving some type of intervention. How do I know a, a two-year-old can't tell me what their future goals are going to be? Do they want to be vocal or verbal? And a parent might not be able to represent that child either. So how do I know what they want? Yeah.
0: Um, I, you know,
3: and, and my,
0: my opinion differs from a lot of people in the community even, right? So there are people that believe all therapy is, you know, abusive and like, there should be no intervention at all. Um, I am not one of those people. Um, I, you know, I think kids deserve help. Um, And, um, you know, I think that my opinion probably diverges from a lot of people's. Um, For me, the way that I look at it is, you know, who is this serving? (laughs) Um, Right? So I see oftentimes, you know, kids will get into speech therapy. What's the first couple things they teach them to say? Not can I go to the bathroom? Not whatever. It's I love you, mommy. Mm. Right, um, because the parents want to hear it, um, and it doesn't actually serve the child. Um, right, it's about you know performing these certain kinds of you know social norms or whatever. Um, you see it a lot too around Christmas, where it's like you know um, how do we get this kid to go sit on Santa's lap or whatever. Right, right? that's not for the kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. they don't want to do it. Yeah. Um, so the same kind of principle applies when we're choosing goals for children. Um, you can listen without eye contact, right? Right. Um, The eye contact is for the, for the speaker, not for the listener. Um, And so when I'm thinking about goals for a child, like what, what is appropriate? I think of, you know, what is truly in service of that child and what is a kind of arbitrary social norm um, that they can do without. Right. Um, So, you know, I don't really like You know, eye contact goals, except for like quick eye contact for safety reasons, right? Um, Or um, you'll see goals for kids to um, play with toys appropriately. Um, What does that mean, right? (laughs) Um, And if a child now has 40 hours a week of ABA because they like to spin the wheels of the car and now we're going to drill room, room, room over and over again, who is that for, right? Play is leisure. for children. Um, and so when we decide that their leisure is not good enough, um, and now we're going to, you know, therapize it, (laughs) um, we're going to, um, see that as just an intrinsic deficit that needs to be remediated immediately. (laughs) Um, that's really the crux of it is like, what is this for? Um, you know, I think we should obviously all kids, you know, at that age, you know, can benefit from speech therapy, can benefit from occupational therapy and can benefit from, you know, skills being broken down and taught. Um, it's just that when we get into that kind of like, this makes you look weird, (laughs) um, and you shouldn't do it anymore because of that. Um, that's where it gets into, um, you know, what I think what people are really saying about that.
1: Yeah, that's, that's really great. And I kind of, as you were talking, I was thinking about our ADHD community too, because a lot of how we approach ADHD or how children learn, um, and how they absorb information has a lot to do with their self-esteem and how they're viewed, um, with their teachers, with their parents and, and kind of the messaging we're giving, you know? Um, and so I really appreciate that you brought that point up because our ultimate goal is, is that, you know, is, is to have them flourish and to be able to have that, confidence, you know, to be able to go into the world. And so I I see a lot of parallels in that. But the the main question I had for you is when parents are looking for therapy options, um, like you mentioned, you know, you work with parents trying to figure out the best way um, to get them therapy that is not uh, going to cause, um, you know, more trauma to the kids. Right. What, what kind of, what kind of things like maybe two or three things that they should look for in, uh, in a therapy or an ABA, if that's all they have access to or speech or occupational, like what are a few of the things you think they should look for?
0: So the first thing I look, f- you know, I would tell them to look for is, um, that their the therapy sessions are, um, child led, right. Um, you know, that, they're, that the children are allowed to, like, move um, and, um, you know, experience childhood, right? So one of the things that comes with ABA is oftentimes a lot of hours. Um, and you'll see kids in therapy for 30, 40 hours a week um, on top of school. Um, and they're being drilled for all of it. Um, and so they, they lose their childhood um, to this, right? Um, they just are, you know, not allowed to be children. Um, So the first thing I would always tell them is, you know, therapy is like making a pie crust, right? Like you have your flour and your butter or whatever, and you add water, you add it just until it comes together. If you keep adding it, it falls apart. (laughs) Um, So therapy, you want just enough, right? Just enough that you're addressing the needs, but not so much that they're falling apart, that they're exhausted. I see So many parents, you know, that when I start working with them, their kids are in 500 therapies. They're exhausted. The kid's exhausted. It's a disaster. Um, And so we cut back, right? And then they're like, "I he's doing so much better. I didn't think that would happen. I'm like, yeah, because you're exhausted. Um, The other one is, um, you know, do is the way that they talk about your child um, completely deficit oriented, right? Is it, you know, I can change that they could stop doing that um you know do they see strengths in your child do they connect with them um you know how much do they value compliance um and are they willing to do anything to get it um right and are they going to put relationship first really because a therapeutic dyad really is a relationship Um, and that relationship can't be built on just bribes and threats, (laughs) right. Um, we have to have more than that. Um, so, you know, I always tell parents like, you know, if it's bad, you'll know, (laughs) um, you know, trust your gut, um, you know, and, and get a new therapist, a new BCBA, (laughs) um, a new agency, a new type of therapy. Um, and don't, don't wait for it to get better if you're feeling, you know, uncomfortable.
3: Okay, that's awesome thank you um so I do want to kind of circle back on the mm-hmm. time um allocated to it so I totally hear what you're saying with regards to overdoing it in the pie crust analogy from a pediatrician standpoint again <laughs> I have to like put my pediatrician yeah. on here but so so the to me and again please correct me if I'm wrong mm-hmm. if I'm doing this differently to me the speech OT and if necessary PT aspect of it again, with coverage and um, finances, it's a very limited amount of therapy, depending on your insurance per week or per month. And then again, to me, and this is anecdotal, it's not scientific, but anecdotal for the children, say the three and up that qualify to be put into a school environment because of their neurodivergent status versus those that have been to ABA. I feel that like goals are achieved quicker in the ABA cohort. Um, and that might not be true. It's just my observation and it could totally be biased, but I think what I'm, my, my question for you is what, what is a good, um, a, a good balance there? Um,
0: yeah, I mean, so I, I think we have to kind of reframe like progress is important. Yeah. Children's mental health is also important. Yeah. Right. And sometimes that expedited progress, right. Progress comes at a cost. Um, and you may not see it now, but I see kids that are, um, you know, really burnt out. Um, you know, they're not able to express that, you know, they wish that they were playing. Um, you know, you see, uh, relationships in the family deteriorate because there's no family time. There's just therapy. Um, right? And, and those things are all important to a child's overall well-being, right? So we can't put progress as like, you know, worth sacrificing everything for. Um, and for me, a slower, more sustainable progress um, is a worthwhile, you know, so-called sacrifice if I know that my child, you know, doesn't feel um, overloaded doesn't feel stressed, doesn't feel, you know, that they spend all of these, their time with these strangers and they don't even know who their mother is. Um, you know, that, that to me is so much more important and kids have a right to that really. Um, and so yes, you know, in a typical school environment, you know, um, it, it might be a little slower progress. And part of that also is that the schools, you know, shortchange parents on how much they should be getting. Um, right? So 20 minutes of speech once a week. Yeah, I agree. That's not probably a good idea. Um, You know, so you may need to supplement outside, but enough that, you know, there's a reasonable amount of progress, but not so much that everyone who's involved in this whole thing is completely stressed all the time. I do have families whose kids have extreme behaviors um, and they use, you know, all 40 of those hours, um, and they use it pretty much as like a one-to-one, right? So if they want to go on a family outing, the EBA goes with them. Like, I think that's one of the, you know, one of the good things they did is they got all these hours covered and some families use them really for like a, you know, personal care attendant kind of thing. Um, you know, and that's okay. Um, but we just have to make sure that we are, you know, protecting children's right to, all of the things that other children get to do.
3: Um, that's,
0: that's how I feel about that.
3: But since no two are the same, how does a parent navigate this? Right. So,
0: I mean, it's so individual. I can't give like a, you know, here's cut, cookie cutter what to do. Um, but what I say in the beginning, right, is you want to match the therapy to the need, right? No one needs therapy just because they're autistic, Right. Um, the therapy is to, you know, meet the needs, right? And if the needs are communication, you should be getting speech therapy. Um, you know, ABA is kind of the only one that purports to be able to do everything. (laughs) Um, everyone else has a scope of practice except them. They can do everything. Um, so, you know, if it's sensory regulation, um, then an occupational therapist, um, you know, part of the reason the coverage for ABA is so good is because they're paying, they don't, the actual licensed people aren't doing the therapy. They have a BCBA sitting in an office going and supervising a 19 year old they pulled off of the street for 40 hours a week, right? So that's why it's so cheap. That's why they get 40 hours. That's why you don't get 40 hours of speech because they have to pay a licensed speech therapist. Um, so, you know, 40 hours of that, is it worth it? You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I think really it's a structural issue at the insurance um, and really academia level. Um, But for parents and people just living within it, we kind of have to live within those parameters and try and reduce harm as much as we can um, in the present.
1: Yeah, I really think what you guys both mentioned about, like, just the the variability in each child. I mean, there's no two children, whether neurodivergent or not, that are the same, right? You have to parent children differently, regardless of of what they come with, right. So um, I I kind of look at it, you know, because I've seen patients personally, that have gone to ABA therapy for just one particular thing, like, let's say textural issues, because they were not eating, you know, Um, but they were their their needs for communication and all of that was met. But it was more the the sensory the textural things with regards to nutrition. And so um, yeah, I think the main takeaway is, is that parents really need to be a part of the process because professionals and pediatricians, sometimes we don't really understand the exact need, you know, and, and I can see how it becomes overwhelming. Um, it, even with therapists that have speech therapy, cause I see my, pa- I, I see my family struggling with this, you know, they go into speech therapy once a week. Um, and the therapists also aren't really understanding exactly what the child is needed, you know, Um, they're going through this. And and so it becomes, it becomes very difficult uh, for all parties involved. And just like we say with ADHD, you know, we, we provide medication that helps part of the way, but really when we see benefit is when we see parents involved in the therapies, um, you know, with their, with their therapist regarding anxiety, depression, all the things that come along with it. Right. Um, So in order for you to get, like the best effect of everything, we need families involved, we need them implementing that in the home so that they can meet the needs, and then medication if we need it, right, for, right. for that particular instance. So, so yeah, I, I think, um I, I definitely agree that more work needs to be done. And, um and we need people that have physically gone through ABA therapy to also kind of vocalize the areas that were deficient, you know? Um, yeah. because l- like Sammy says, we, I, sometimes we see great benefit, but you're right. I mean, how much of it is benefit versus creating, um, more mental health problems down the road, you know, and that's could that benefit start. be
0: like accomplished through like environmental accommodations, right? Like,
1: yeah. you know, yeah. do
0: we need to constantly be doing, you know, exposure therapy to like sounds when like headphones exist. Right. And, the rationale I'm always given is that headphones make them look weird. You're like, okay. (laughs) Um, You know, uh, it doesn't, there's, there's ways, you know, my my daughter has had periods where she's had a lot of therapy and periods where she's had none, um, you know, depending on what the needs were at the time. Um, But, you know, a lot of what our life looks like um, is making accommodations for her and, and, you know, not always saying that she's the problem, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Where I feel like ABA and, you know, like intervention in general, right? Is the ki- the child is the problem, the autism is the problem, um, yeah. as opposed to thinking about the ways that the our home is structured, our school is structured, um, you know, could we be making also changes to those things so that, you know, we don't necessarily need to, you know, drill eye contact that many hours a day. Um, yeah.
3: So, Robin... Um- for me you know and and i'm moving forward and our recommendations is it is it one of those things where it's like you know aba because you know if there's any trauma associated with it i don't want a part of it right like i don't want to make a recommendation to an unknowing parent and an unknowing child that like 20 years down the line they come and say dr sammy (laughs) what you said ruined my life you know and i don't i don't want any part of that i just want to do the opposite, enrich your right. life and help you succeed in any which way that might be. So, is it is it like ABA's like across the board, or is it still? I know I'm asking you to draw a line in the sand. Yeah. So, still like there could be some good. <laughs> um. Okay. So, I'm going to say this
0: in the the best way I can possible. The the best ABA is the least like ABA. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Right. And so, you know, people will be like. There's a big argument. I fight with ABA people all the time. And their argument is like, well, if you were abused, it wasn't really ABA. Like it's like a no true Scotsman thing. Um, I feel the opposite. If you weren't abused, (laughs) um, it's because whatever that was, was, you know, something else calling itself ABA. Mm -hmm. Because if you look at the actual science, it is very clear cut. I mean, they're misting people in the face with like lemon juice and water, like restraining them. I mean, like if you read the studies, you will be sufficiently horrified to realize that You know, it's not, we're not making it up. (laughs) The literature itself tells on itself pretty well. Um, And, you know, with Judge Rotenberg Center, Rotenberg Center um, in Massachusetts now fighting um, and winning, um, fighting against the FDA to be able to electroshock people in their center um, and winning um, to be able to continue to use electroshock, we can't really say that that's in the past, right? Um, We can't say new ABA is different and better and it's all good. But are there practices and people, individual people, and sometimes whole agencies who are, you know, genuinely interested in, interested in, um, you know, pushing the field? Um, generally, uh, you know, genuinely interested in their, you know, clients' best interests. Those people exist, and I help people find those people all the time. Um, so, as as practitioners, you guys are kind of in a hard spot because um, you can only do what exists um and uh you're kind of bound like you can't you know recommend things that aren't covered by insurance right like you are your medical practitioners i get that i mean if i were going to say what my ideal you know for right now would be um and kind of what i do is, you know, I have a, um, there's this great resource. I didn't write it. I point parents to it all the time. It's this, uh, like wiki document. That's basically like how to tell if your ABA is harmful, but really it could be how to tell if your therapy is harmful in general. Right. Um, and I give that to parents and say, listen, you know, call around, tell them that you want like child-led naturalistic play-based, um, therapy. Sometimes, you know, an ABA, they call it PRT, pivotal response um, And ask them if that's something that they do that they can accommodate Um, and then go through the evaluation process and just comb through your programs and make sure that, you know, they're not, um, you know, using aversives, that they're not taking their comfort items and using them as a reinforcer Um, and kind of give them a sense of like what to look for, that it might not be the right fit. Um, so for you guys, right. I can give you that resource and you may want to, you know, send it as is, or maybe you want to modify it and make, you know, one just for your practice and it doesn't have to say ABA on it. Right. You don't want to make them mad. Um, you don't want to be on their naughty list. Uh, let me tell you. Um, but, uh, um, but you can kind of give them a sense of like, what would be red flags that like any therapy, um, is not good. Right um and also you know you have to you know you're going to write them their script for 40 hours the same one we all got <laughs> um but um you may want to say you know listen i'm going to write the script for 40 hours um y- you probably don't need 40 hours of therapy um you know and kind of give them like your child has a right to a childhood talk um you know, because a lot of people are like, if you don't do this now, the window will close and it will be doom. And like, they really scare the parents about this like developmental window, like shutting forever. Um, but really, you know, I kind of take a different approach and say, listen, um, you know, you like you to do just enough that you are meeting their needs, but you don't need to go. They don't need to be in therapy all day and night. And that's actually probably not a good idea. Um so I think you know having a kind of harm reduction philosophy where you're like, here are the options here is how you would tell if any of those options are going badly <laughs> um here are some red flags to look out for um and you don't have to say a b a by name um but you know for now, if your hands are kind of tied um that would be i think a reasonable solution um you know at present i mean as professionals in the medical field, one of the things that you could help us with um, is advocating for insurance coverage for other modalities, um, Advocating for, you know ABA to stay in its scope of practice and stop saying that they can do language therapy. stop Tell them to stop doing feeding therapy when they have literally no training in the structure of the mouth or throat. They have no ability to evaluate someone for like feeding conditions, um, but they will advertise that they can do feeding therapy. Right, there are major problems in the things that they do. Um, from like a scope of practice, like you know, higher up level, um, those are the conversations that we need doctors to be involved in and be aware of. Um, their training is is like, do you know what they what you have to do to get be a BCBA?
3: Not much, right?
0: No, it's like six yeah. classes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and they're all in behavior analysis. They're not in autism. They're not in child development, they're not in psychology. No. They're literally just like graphing and you know different ABA procedures. Um, and then you know they're like the only autism experts in the world who have never taken
3: a class on autism. Um, so unbelievably helpful. I just have to tell you like I, yeah, it is so 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 eye-opening and helpful. Um, um it was making, yeah, I mean making, that we need
0: help behind the scenes, like advocating for, you know,
1: just more ethical, like therapy yeah. in general. <laughs> I mean, we noticed the deficiencies in, in training in general, like we definitely, that was something that we would talk about even I mean, even at the school level, like the school level, the, the, the therapists there that help with speech, I mean, they're also limited in how much they can do, you know? So we really need to, like you mentioned, bring awareness and, and training, like training needs to be, um, like you said, empathetic and ethical, um, definitely, but this has been very eye opening. I, we really, really appreciate. More question. Yeah, one more question. <laughs> so yeah. more I'll
0: send you yes. like I'm I'm
3: fine. I'm good for time, so whatever. Thank you. So now I'm thinking of like all the potential scenarios, right? And so you have all these gamuts of parents. You're ones that are very proactive and that'll like go and figure things out on their own and and are willing to, but then there's others that will retreat because there's so much to do and it's so intimidating. Um and and I'm just curious, who do you think? So that like in the whole process that we have now, which is obviously evolving for the better. So in this whole thing, so there's someone who makes the diagnosis and then there's someone who presents the options, right. Of like potentially me, right. Who would say like, these are your options. And this is how you make sure that you're steering clear of danger. Um, who would you say is the best person in the, in the, in a parent's environment to, um, help them understand their child's needs, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I mean, so it used to be when you got your diagnosis, everyone got the Autism Speaks Hundred Day Kit, right? Yeah. That was like the thing you got, and I got one too. I got a paper and like a you know come to the support group or whatever. Um, it would be amazing if you know, um, practice like practitioners were pointing parents one like towards autistic-led organizations, right? So the Autistic Self Advocacy Network has a beautiful, like their own hundred day kit. Um, and it is not doom and gloom. It's not, you know, you're, you're all, you're going to get divorced because of autism, right? It's not, um, it's not blaming autism for, you know, all of this stuff. It presents a very like factual and like also kind of acceptance oriented thing, which is so much healthier for parents Right to be in that, you know, for them to understand, like this is my goal for parents. For them to understand that even at all of the end of it, like if they do all this therapy or whatever, their 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 kids going to be autistic still at the end, <laughs> right? Um, if I can get parents to understand, autistic kids become autistic adults, no matter what, <laughs> no matter what we do, yeah. um, right? That that is kind of where we need to lead parents. Um, so I think like you know whoever is talking to them could say, um, you know, when they give the diagnosis, one, it's not a death sentence, right? So you could say, you know, just like I explained it to my own daughter, <laughs> um, you know, there's lots of different types of, you know, brains, <laughs> neurotypes, um, you know, we're learning more about all of them, um, especially autism, because, you know, we used to have one particular picture in our mind. Um, and it was scary. But <laughs> um, And now, you know, there's, there's a lot more information um, and there's a community of people who are, you know, have been there and are willing to help you. Um, And here are some of the places that you can look for it. And there's a lot of options you have for help with your child. And, you know, here are some of them. Um, But if we can present it as, um, you know, like kind of induction to a community um, as opposed to you know, uh, letting them know like their child has cancer or something. Um, we can kind of set them on a better path, um, because they get so scared. Right. I usually talk to them like right after that appointment and they're crying and I'm like, okay, okay. It's going to be okay. <laughs> um, like you, we don't know what the future is going to hold and it's going to be fine. And like, we're going to help you and like, we're, we'll, we'll get them some help. Right. And and you're gonna be okay. There's a book for you to read. Um, and then you know, when I have new parents comment on my TikTok, I'm like, you know, welcome to the family. That's all I say. Welcome to the family. We're glad you're here. Like, um, and kind of have them join the community in a positive way because when the parents are okay, the kids are okay. Yeah. Um, right. No one parents well from a place of fear and shame. <laughs> Um, and so if I can get parents in a place where they're like, okay, <laughs> it's going to be okay. Um, I can handle this and, um, there are people that will help me and I can, you know, we can get them some better information. That's not, you know, the old information they used to get <laughs> and they probably still get, um, you know, that, that sets, just sets the whole family up for such a better path. Um, it really just changes their whole approach to things to start with that acceptance piece first. Um, you know, not like a acceptance at the end, if nothing else works, <laughs> that's, that's what, like, I guess I'll accept it. Cause we did therapy for 18 years and they're still autistic, but so fine. I'll accept them. Um, but if we actually start with that, um, it just is so much better for everybody.
1: Okay. Does that answer your question? It's a lot. I'm like, um, yeah any any resources that you have um links and stuff that we would love to have them and share them on our social media so that parents that are newly you know diagnosed children that are newly become a part of this community can have that resources that would be really helpful absolutely. and I, I know i'm going to share it with with my patients as well
0: yeah absolutely and you know I'll, I'll give you anything i have and you know if you have parents that are trying to navigate it and and need help like you know i have a you know community and classes and they're in and ASAN has a ton of resources. They have a whole like hundred day kit. They have a whole thing about different therapies. Um, they do a ton of work. Um, and I've never ever seen a professional recommend them.
3: Huh. You're about to. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> the
0: first um,
2: time for everything.
0: <laughs> and I really appreciate like you all reaching out because normally what I get is like, um, you know, either I get the, like, talk down to me, explain science to me thing where like, well, you don't understand research. Okay. I do understand research because, mm, um, you know, that thing where they're like, it's science. And I'm like, okay, well, science, like, let's unpack our view of what science is first. Um, so I either get that or I get the, um, you know, you don't understand that, like, some kids really need this. And like, <laughs> um, I'm like, you don't know who I work with. Most of my clients' kids have, you know, extreme behaviors nonverbal like you know i don't just talk to people like me I, most of the people i work with kids have really significant needs um so
3: well, the actually fact that, before, hmm? sorry to interrupt you but before our, our zoom um i had gone and, and looked at the research and it's it's not it's not like tylenol helps bring down a fever it's not like that clear Um, with regards to ABA, there's a lot of nuance there. And then it's a lot of, like you said, like, what were the goals and were the goals, just neurotypical goals. And is that what we were using to deem success? It's also single, most of it is
0: single case study.
3: Yeah. Yeah. You know, so we
0: don't have like good longitudinal data from like a large sample size. And we don't have a lot of data, like like long-term. And also a lot of it is not racially diverse. Um, It's not gender diverse. Um, So we just, you know, yes. If you shock someone, they will stop flapping their hands.
3: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, To make it right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The way I view it is kind of like, and I think most pediatricians would too. I'd like to think that we're all mostly similar, but um, the way I view it is like, if I was referring all of my um, bipolar patients to a psychiatrist. And then 10 of them came back and said, um, hey, like I feel better, but also he abused me. I would be like, well, I'm not sending you to him ever again. And right. that's how this is, you know, it's yeah. like enough people came forward that like, I went through this and I'm telling you it was awful. And why would I keep doing that? <laughs> like-
0: and they, they always say it's the old ABA, but i am I tell you, I've observed hundreds of ABA programs at this point. You know, I do, like, in-person evaluations also, and I help parents choose out-of-district schools for their programs. I've observed ABA classrooms. I also supervise student teachers all over the state of New Jersey. So I've been in many, many schools, ABA programs, um, you know, private therapy settings, all of it. Um, There are still people using aversives. Um, There are still people punishing, you know, innocuous autistic behaviors. There are still people, you know, forcing eye contact and stopping kids from stimming from like harmless stims like, you know, that that all is happening. <laughs> um, you know, it's not they like to say, you know, that it's completely different now, but I really just think it's a branding move. Um, you know, they've gotten the criticism and instead of actually engaging with it. Right. It's um, you know, we're all different now. We don't do that anymore. Um, but then they continue to publish studies doing just that. Right. So. um, they are still doing it. <laughs> I, I don't know how else to say that.
3: Yeah. Anna and I have actually met with a few ABA centers in our geographical area just to know what we had been recommending. But even in that, I was very like conscious not to be um like have a, you know, kind of false sense of confidence because that is just a meeting with a director that could tell you whatever you want to hear. And it's very different from what you've done, which is like go there and sit there and observe for an extended period of time.
0: Yeah. Um, And I've seen, you know, my own kids therapists, like, you know, and I was there when I was a teacher when they weren't, I wasn't observing, right. Even in schools I worked in, um, I would see colleagues doing these things, right. Which is why I left. Um, So, you know, I've seen it a lot. And there are a lot of people that are still restraining. I mean, I could get into the whole restraint thing, but I mean, we have a rampant restraint and seclusion problem in our public schools rampant. Yeah. Um, kids dying. And like, you know, people will say, and it's these ABA schools. I mean, Max Benson died in an ABA school being restrained in a prone restraint. Um, and so, you know, we could say that this is not happening till we're blue in our face, but the, the, you know, the data says otherwise.
1: I mean, I think this is this is the time to really empower parents because me and Sammy really try to do that in our practices that, you know, if your mommy gut is, is telling you, if you are, I mean, for anything, you know, whether it comes to them being sick, going through whatever cold, like we are never going to say that we're not going to discuss this further. You know, like right. our, our main job is to listen to parents, to understand where the need is, for them and for their children. And so this is, I think this is the time where parents, if they're seeing something, whether it's with a psychiatrist, a psychologist, an ABA therapist is to say, Hey, you know, like this is, this is causing harm uh, in whichever way and to empower them to talk to their pediatrician about it. Because our goal is not to just say here, go here. You know, there's, there's lots of kids dealing with anxiety and depression that, that I talk to on a daily basis that haven't found the right therapist, you know, right. um, to uh, to help them as best, and and we try again, right? And so this kind of it kind of goes all over society in in empowering people just to say, hey, you know, because a lot of people, like you said, don't feel like they have another option, you know, and they don't that's, even know, like really parents. sad.
0: Sorry, I'm yeah. always talking over people. Um, no, no
1: you're <laughs> they don't
0: even know that like they can fire the therapist. I tell them that all the time. I'm like, go go tell yeah. the agency that you want a new therapist. They're like, I could do that. Yeah. I'm like, yes. Like, call up your case manager. In early intervention, you can do it. Um, like private therapy, like tell them that you're don't like the therapist. Get a new BCBA. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're uncomfortable with someone for whatever reason, right? Um, Another thing also, um, I forgot to mention, just a side note, I always tell parents in the beginning to do home-based if they can before center-based. Because if it's in their home, you get a a little bit, you know what I mean? You have a little bit more control than like a drop-off environment. Um, And so, you know, I generally advise people that if at all possible to be with a therapist for like six months or longer and home-based therapy before they allow drop-offs, um, you know, just so they can keep an eye on it. You know, even if you go and observe the last 10 minutes, like you don't know what happened before then. Um, so, you know, that, that's a one that's like a harm reduction tactic right. to try and have home-based if you can.
3: So Robin, imagine you're my patient's mom. Okay. Patient's mom. And I come to you and I'm like, you know, we've meet, we meet again after a diagnosis and we kind of have a chat and we talk about how um, this isn't a death sentence and, and this is a good thing. And that, you know, I'm here for you and whatnot. And if I say like, these are your options, these are some resources, you know, go dive in and then let me know what you think is best for you guys. And, and then I will do my best to support you in that. How is that? How's that?
0: That's good. Um, They might need a little bit in the beginning. They don't know like what therapy does what, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, And they don't, um, also really understand what any formal testing means. Right. So a lot of times they don't know. They're like, well, what therapy does he need? And they're just told ABA. Um, so it's helpful to say like, okay, well, what are your goals for your child? What, what would you like to see them do right now? What do you think is most important? Right. What are you struggling with at home? Is it behavior? Is it, you know, most of the time they're like, oh, they're, they run and crash into the couch a million times a day okay, well, there's a therapy that helps with sensory regulation. That's actually a sensory seeking behavior. And that therapy is occupational therapy, which does a number of things like fine motor and also sensory integration. Um, So you may want to start there. So add that first, see how it goes. Um, You know, if your child isn't speaking, um, you know, you can say like, you know, if they're like, I just want them to communicate, okay, great. You know, well, there is speech therapy and that's a great place to start. Um, you know, there's also applied behavior analysis. Um, you know, here's some of the, you know, information about that. Um, you know, uh, if you have, you know, like more skill-based stuff they want to, you know, kind of help them match the therapy with the need because they just see them all as like therapy for autism, right? So they think they need all of them. Um, but you can have an autistic kid, like, they don't need speech therapy if they're like hyperverbal, right? Um or they may need speech therapy for just pragmatics, right? So like helping them to kind of like these are your testing results, right? Um this is what they mean, um and then to help them kind of get like a, you know, like order of operations in place. Um so I usually try and get them to like be like, okay, like what's most important to you right now? And they're like, well, I would like for them to eat. (laughs) Okay, great. (laughs) Um, you know, and then I kind of put them in touch with the therapies, you know, that they need to get for those things, um, helping them understand what they are even, um, and why you would need them and how you call them and that stuff. They is really confusing to them. Perfect.
3: Love it.
0: Happy to help. <laughs> I'm sorry I that no it was
3: like it's rapid, really helpful higher like integration and like where do we go from here so it's great
0: yeah i'm trying to give it as much as possible so if people you know show this later and you know hopefully uh you know and in then in videos on tiktok um i would just not say ABS.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you know what though um, I totally agree with you. And I see that moving forward, but this needed to happen. Yeah. So it yeah. was such a gift, you know, cause I could I, have, I could have taken my first video down and I could have just like, I I knew that I was walking into a fire. I knew it. And I was like, nah, I'm going to, I'm going to like really say what what I've, you know, been doing. And then I'm going to like open the floor here and then receive what, you know, we need. I knew, I knew Anna and I needed to like Do some kind of shift and change and blah, 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 based on just the comments that they were saying, which was, it's great. It's amazing what you can, what you can get through without yelling at people. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's just- I mean
0: the fact that you didn't like double down is like m- more than a hundred percent of everyone else on TikTok. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean because that's what we're used to, right? We're used to ah, vaccines. No, you know, like any kind of like trigger word, like fluoride, you know. <laughs> so they, there's a few like trigger words, and so, but yeah, I mean this is why this is why we got on here because we've learned so much, you know. Yeah, because um, we can't walk in every patient's shoes and and. And that's what kind of that's why we wanted to have these conversations, because it's the science is changing, you know, yeah. in everything. And, and so you need people. And you know, we're the first ones to go to each other and be like, Hey, am I missing something here? You know, so when people come to us as like, doctors think they know everything, we actually realize how much is left to be learned, you know, like, we recognize that there's so much out there, and there's so much nuance to everything. And so a lot of times, I feel like we get attacked for that. But we have to have, you know, we're, we're still going to expand our knowledge, you know, every day. Um, but we have to come from some place of confidence to help parents navigate it. You guys are amazing. You know, amazing. So, <laughs> you know what my, so my daughter's
0: pediatrician said <laughs> before we went, we go to developmental pediatrician now, but her real pediatrician said to us, um, she's like old and from Poland. So she says a lot of interesting things. Um, but she said something, What well, it was after Pia got diagnosed, she goes, Something like, well, autism, it's a mysterious condition. We don't know anything about it. <laughs> I was like, that's helpful. Thank you. <laughs> i bear that in mind.
1: Um, yeah.
0: It's, it's really tough. like a mess out there. You Like, it's so bad. You guys are amazing.
1: <laughs> well, you're amazing.
0: Thank I was, you. I thank don't you. know how to react to that. I, don't know. <laughs> I was just like, okay. <laughs>
3: Um, can you give me that
2: like, screen good now?
3: <laughs> so, you, so you were like, hold, hold my phone. I'm going to go get a PhD in this. <laughs> I was like, okay,
0: um, great. Is this what you tell everybody? Like I'm very concerned. <laughs> um, I had to do everything. And most parents I know their, their pediatricians brush them off so many times that they ended up just going to EI themselves. Um, and then, then they just go to the developmental pediatrician or something, but the fact that your uh, patients are getting such thoughtful um, advice from you guys—it really, um, you're already a cut above, and so doing this is just even better. So, appreciate you thank both so you. much. Thank
1: <laughs> you. I was um, so to
3: thank you. Do that With you, you have no idea how helpful it was, and we really appreciate.
0: Yeah, anytime. Know. Anytime you guys need anything, and I'll—I'll I'll send you an email, you know, follow up with some resources and stuff for you guys. We'll get
3: okay.
0: some rest. Yes, you too. <laughs> I'm gonna go the video and have a glass of wine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Bye.
2: You're tuned in to the Wild Child podcast brought to you by The PDPals. Pals. The PD Pals is our passion project and not-for-profit company where we aim to educate and empower parents and guardians and offer you accessible health tips. Our mission is to also support future female doctors. We currently have interns on our team who are all at different parts of their medical school journey. If you'd like to support our mission and help with our podcasting costs, you can donate to our Venmo at The PDPals. Pals, or our Zelle, which is hello at thepedpals.com. We greatly appreciate our audience's support. You can also support our interns on Venmo at interns pdpals.
1: The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any other agency, hospital, organization, employer, or company. Assumptions made in the analysis are not reflective of the position of any entity other than the participants. The participants are critically thinking human beings, therefore these views are always subject to change, revision, reconsideration, and recalculation at any time. This podcast collaboration makes no warranties or representations as to accuracy, completeness, correctness, suitability, or validity of any information, communication, exchange, and the participants will not be liable for any errors, omissions, or delays in this information, or any losses, injuries, or damages arising from its broadcast dissemination or use. All information is provided on an as-is basis. It is the communication recipient's responsibility to verify any facts.